podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Dan. Yes. I am here. Offices. I got five minutes until the train comes by here, so let's get this moving, huh? (laughs) (laughs) What do you think about offices? I don't like them. I don't like an office, man. You are office averse. I'm office averse. Well, on today's show, Amal Sarva will maybe convince you why it makes sense for your startup to be in an office. I tell you what, if it were easier to get office space, then maybe I'd be a little bit more open to it. Well, we have a treat for you. So Amal's doing a startup basically that makes it easier for companies to move in and out of offices, right? That's right. Yeah. And it's interesting the problems that new companies face and we've faced before when we're trying to find office space, trying to figure out, is this going to work for us three years from now? This barely works for us right now. And so these are some of the problems that Amal is solving for these companies. Yeah. It's particularly relevant for Folks like us too, because our businesses, a lot of us start in a co-working space or in a bedroom with a laptop. And as your little websites get bigger, all of a sudden you got to build a team. Start to ask yourself the question, how do you want to collaborate with them? So just to fill in a little bit of Amal's backstory, he's a startup founder. His past and present portfolio includes Virgin Mobile, a neuroscience company called Halo Neuroscience, but his baby is called Notel, which provides basically flexible office space in the New York area. So I started to talk with them all about the services that Notel provides. Yeah, Notel is headquarters as a service. Companies need an HQ, but they don't need a lease. Leases are annoying. They make you take too much space for too long in a world where you can't predict anything. And so Notel makes it possible for you to have a space that is your own space, culture coded and branded and expressing your identity, but scalable and adaptable. So the problem you're solving here is, you know, as you start to grow a business, a lot of times you look at commercial real estate and it's like a three to five year lease. And it's like, well, how can we expect to know where we're going to be in five years? Yeah. I mean, if you're trying to build your business, whether it's organically built or venture backed, You have no idea what you're going to do in like two months. Like you might be out of business. You might be doubling or tripling. If your dreams come true, you might be 10 times the size. It's insane that this like critical piece of business infrastructure is marketed and sold on this crazy timeline. And three to five years, you're lucky actually to get that because most landlords want a lot more time than that. And in exchange for giving you these shorter deals, the pricing is worse. You have to pay like a year of rent in advance to a lot of landlords in New York. You always have to take more space than you really need because you might need a little bit of headroom to grow into it, which means you're paying for something you don't use at all. It has many problems. So take me back to the day where uh, Notel started or when you first had the idea for Notel. Yeah, well, I mean, the day that we thought of Notel as a business was two and a half years after we started Notel. We, in January 2013, started a company called Notable. I had just sold my last company, Peak. SoftBank had acquired it. All the people disappeared. We did a side deal with Twitter. So all the engineers went to Twitter. And I have this beautiful office in Manhattan where I labored away on this you know, passion for years to build Peak. And then the next day, it's like gone. And I was thinking, all right, well, 
This is good. Now I'm going to build my next company. I'd like to do it here. This is my home. The company we were running, we were building this company called Notable. And it was built on this idea that when you work together, collaborating on the ideas is kind of hard still. There's like all these ways to like send a note, share a note, have a chat, group edit a document. But we had this vision for this like future way of using software on your phone or your laptop or whatever, where you can actually just exchange sort of longer form ideas that are persistent and sticky. Like you can make a notepad, throw a bunch of ideas on it, and come back to it time and time again over time as you're making progress, making improvements, changing your ideas. And that's, so we're building the software for that. And we had a few product managers here in New York and we had a lot of engineers, but they were all around the world. They were distributed in dozens of countries and they were checking in code every minute of the day, 24 hours. But I just didn't need like a big giant Manhattan office to house everybody. And so I spoke to the, the landlord, the owner of the building, and, and he and I were really friendly. He was happy to let me take the lease over personally. And I didn't want to pay like $25,000 a month for the floor of a building if I wasn't going to use the whole thing. I figured, well, let me mention it to a few friends. And so as I started my new company and a couple of headcount for this new company, I had another 30 or 40 people from some other companies floating around sharing the rent with me. Over time, after a couple of years, this thing was, was growing. It was getting bigger. I, was, I had several floors in the building. And at that moment in, in sort of late 2015, my co-founder and I paused to think, how weird is this? It's a business that just grows by itself, makes money, and is in a category that is just like trillions of dollars in spend, just a huge category. Maybe we should pay more attention to this business. And so did it come a time where you had to pick between the two ventures or did that not happen? Yeah, I mean, it's a constant process of choice, right? There's some folks in the world, like my way of organizing the world is there are some people who are foxes and some people who are hedgehogs. So hedgehogs by inclination are the type of personality that have like one big thing. My own mindset and personality fits into this other category, the fox. And the fox is someone who knows many things, moves easily between these many different topics, maybe doesn't end up spending huge amounts of time deep inside one domain. And therefore is somebody that's maybe making connections or finding insights from one place to another and, and cross-pollinating. So as a matter of style for my entire career, this has been my style of operating. And as I was working on Notable, I had started this other company, Halo Neuroscience, and my co-founder runs that company. It's based in San Francisco. I had been making investments in other startups. I have 50 companies where I'm an investor in the, in the angel round. And by 2015, we were looking at this little side project inside Notable, which was our office business. And we were having to make a big choice. We were having to make the choice of turning it from a side project to a real project and actually pouring a huge majority, I mean, virtually, you know, 110% of my energy into turning Notel from a prototype into a real business. And so for the last year and a half and for a long time, that's going to be what happens. This business is huge. So, Ian, do you self-identify as a hedgehog or a fox? At furry parties, I dress up as a fox. <laughs> I've heard you described as a fox before. This distinction is one that's quite famous, this Isaiah Berlin essay that originally brings up this idea. It's kind of like required reading for philosophy majors, so it was cool to hear it mentioned in a business podcast. And so you are the what? A foxy hedgehog, of course. A foxy <laughs> hedgehog. Nobody wants to commit. No, I don't. Let's jump back into the interview, Dan. And here's the thing. Amal thinks that maybe for him, at least, Notel offers a way of experiencing both the fox and the hedgehog mindsets as well. One of the things that actually is weird and interesting and rewarding and why Notel really suits me as a thing to now like completely dedicate my attention to 
is Notel is itself like a Matroska doll of interesting puzzles, one set inside the other. It is a platform for many hundreds of companies, thousands of people, it's dozens of buildings. It makes money hosting these businesses, but supporting them in a range of ways beyond purely the real estate operations. We convene events and we have all these interesting intellectuals and startup founders and other visionaries coming through the place. So it's a super creative place to be. And so it really does feed my fox-like personality, but I can't be the hedgehog that the business needs. And one of the first moves that I made when I got started is I started recruiting and bringing in folks that I thought could be extraordinarily focused, powerful, diligent, hedgehog-style leaders for the company. And that's a mistake in the past I, I had made, is that I just thought I could do it in my own personality. And this time, I've been trying to assemble a much more mixed, much more diverse, different skill-type team. And this Fox Hedgehog thing is right at the core of it. This week's episode is sponsored by AppSumo.com. Sign up today at appsumo.com slash TMBA and receive a free copy of Derek Sivers' video course called Finding Your Passion and Making Money With It. It's the story of how Derek built and sold CD Baby for $22 million. We asked the AppSumo guys, hey, can we give that to TMBA listeners? They said, sure thing. And if you go to that registration link, appsumo.com slash TMBA, you also get access to two documents designed to help you with ideas for your next business move, whether that's generating new traffic or validating your next product idea. The app Sumo's emails go out to nearly 1 million people weekly, and they leverage that extensive reach to get great deals on behalf of their subscribers. Previous deals included discounts of up to 90% on products that entrepreneurs love, like Dropbox, Evernote, and Wistia. And they often give away popular books absolutely free. You can receive your free gifts, including that Derek Sivers video course, and start getting access to deals today. Check it all out at appsumo.com slash TMBA. So bring me back to the early days. It sounds like you had 30 to 100 people in the space from various different companies. What was the vibe like and what were all these companies doing? Yeah, I mean, in the early days, it was uh, a few floors of a building in the you know, in Flatiron District near Union Square in Manhattan. A bunch of different tech-type companies. A lot of them were my friends that were the CEOs or maybe somebody I had invested in. And it was just a super creative atmosphere of, like, bouncing around and sharing and working on stuff. And, hey, I'm working on this and I'm working on that. And it was loud and it was a big open space and the different teams kind of flowed into each other. That was the core of what got Notel rolling. Of course, that's not the vision of where it was all meant to go once we started trying to make it bigger, and the reality has really evolved in good ways since then. But in those early days, yeah, I mean, I was starting with what I knew, and I was testing an idea with folks who are very innovative that are ready to take on new kinds of products or new kinds of concepts and use them in creative ways. And so how have you seen your customers now change? Folks that are not startups. I mean, over the year and a half that we've been building the thing, the share has gone from 100% startups coming in the door to 25% venture-backed or technology-based startups that are coming in the door. The mix of people that are in the business are 30 to 40% non-startups. And that number is going to continue because most of the world is not startups. Most of the world is businesses. And modern businesses may operate in a certain way without actually being like tech startups, obviously. And those folks have a lot of the same needs. There's this great line, I guess it's usually attributed, I think, to maybe Alan Kay, 
the future is already here, it's unevenly distributed. And I think we were just noticing that in our office and in the sort of folk ways and patterns that startups were using to build their businesses. At the outset, you know, if you're starting an um, accounting business or a law firm, you have a lot of the same profile in your work behavior and your needs and your willingness to, to invest lots of capital and have a certainty on a lease or something. Lots of businesses, as they're growing, face the same issues. Yeah, I'm curious to know, though, you know, how the culture is working now. Because in the beginning, I can see how it would work very easily. Everybody's kind of rah rah rahing around this idea that they have a fast-growing startup, that they're venture-backed, that, you know, things are either going to go really great or really blow up. And then now you've got like this maybe somewhat traditional accounting firm sitting next to them. So what does the water cooler talk look like at this point? Yeah, this is an awesome question. And it it points to a a critical observation we made when we decided to make the Notel bigger. So at that moment, when we're a couple of floors and there's a, a few dozen people floating around, yes, it's startups. But the observation we made actually was the fun vibe of the place was not the critical reason why people were coming and working at Notel. And when we compared it to the category of co-working, which is available in every city in the world from a lot of big brands, co-working actually is different. Co-working, they talk so much about community. And part of the reason is these teams are really small. It's like a team of two or eight is the kind of natural size for somebody who's in, for example, a WeWork. WeWork, 70% of their members are in teams that are less than 10. And what we noticed in our building is even though we had you know, 100 people, it was actually only like five companies. The average size was 20 that was at the Notel at that moment. And when we looked around the, the space, there were five CEOs that were in charge of these teams. And actually, each CEO had their own identity and their own thing that they wanted. And in the time that we had been incubating this little prototype as a side project, we noticed that the teams were getting bigger and they were getting more distinctive. So they were starting to run their own half of the floor or their own entire floor with their own brand, culture, talent, style, etc. And so, in fact, what it was pointing to was that this like crazy dorm room kind of vibe that we had way back in 2015, that wasn't the future. Actually, the service we're providing is like, we do it for you, and we disappear into the background. So what's evolved over the last few years is now we're running a business that is a seamless, quiet background player that puts your company in the forefront. And you're not going to walk into a party every time you walk into an hotel. It will feel like a creative space with people working on new things. But when you get off on you know, the seventh floor and it's this e-commerce company that sells healthcare products, you're there. You're at an innovative e-commerce company, not at a hotel. It's interesting how things start one way and then end another. I mean, I'm almost picturing you know, these companies coming in and building their own walls. And then all of a sudden, now you have what we would perceive as a traditional office space. Right. It's interesting to see how how things evolve. Now, it doesn't seem like it's quite gotten to that point yet where these people aren't overlapping at all. But if they're not overlapping over a barbecue, what do you think they want to overlap over? In your diagnosis of what it feels like to be the CEO who does a deal to come into Notel, a lot of what you sketched is right. It's like, yeah, I'm going to put my company headquarters here and I'm going to have scalability and adaptability, which means I'm just going to tell Notel you know, our company colors are orange and this is our logo and I'd like, you know, one giant conference room, not two medium-sized ones. So can you make it all happen? So we take care of it all the same way like maybe Amazon Web Services will handle all that infrastructure stuff. And your layer on top, whether you're a small company with a little app or if you're Netflix running your entire service on this platform, will still feel like your service. So that's on the top. But yes, they do share stuff. There are big gains to sharing. 
It's not just that we do a lot of work for you and we handle the back end and the real estate, but there are big open spaces. There's sort of like the front of house and the reception and there's a giant boardroom and a theater and there are rooftops all around the city. And if you happen to be in a different part of town when you need to do a meeting, you can pop in and do the meeting at a different hotel. And those are shared services that you want to draw on. So we do that. Who are your biggest competitors in this space and what are they doing differently? Well, we mainly focus on traditional landlords and leases. And that's 99% of the market. I mean, 99% of the market is just the old school lease invented in like, you know, 1700. And it's more or less run the exact same way as it was run then. There are a couple of inventions since then, like, you know, using Microsoft Word to write the lease instead of doing it by hand. (laughs) But that's kind of it. Most people ask me, hey, what about co-working? And I think co-working just shows you one of the big innovations that's sweeping through many aspects of infrastructure, whether it's like ordering an Uber or spinning up a server on Amazon Web Services. To us, it was like the clue that the rest of the market could be attacked. Coworking is really small. It's less than 1% of the global office market. It's like half a percent. It's like a few basis points. The other 99% is the opportunity. So to compete against coworking would be to think really small. And so when I meet entrepreneurs, actually, while we were doing Notel, I had people come to me and say, oh, man, you're building a co-working business. I was totally uninterested in doing that. There is no point. There are a bunch of large players, and the total market size isn't even that big. What got me excited is when we realized we can serve companies. We can run HQs as a service. And that means that everyone is my potential customer. Dan, at the top of the show, we talked a little bit about the gap, this problem that you have when you start a new company and you don't know how successful it's going to be. You don't know how many employees you're going to have. You don't know exactly the location that you want. Yeah. And traditionally speaking, you get locked into a three to five year lease in a commercial office building. Here's the thing. I mean, I have absolutely no questions on my end. Obviously, this makes sense. Like I'm all saying this lease situation existed since the 1700s or whatever. I don't know. But my company moves faster than that. You know, like I don't know what my headcount's going to be next year, two years from now. So why am I going to sign a lease for that period? I remember us being in this position in the past and it's terrifying, you know? So from my side, it's a total no brainer. Of course, I want more flexibility in terms of my monthly overhead expenses. What we used to do when we had our offices in San Diego, I actively looked for landlords that were owning and leasing the building. So basically owner-operated properties. So I didn't have to deal with like a management structure because those people generally had the flexibility that we were looking for. So shorter-term leases, the ability to move if we grew too fast, the ability in one case to like take over more of the office space. Those are the kinds of workarounds that we did in the past. But now with things like what Amal's offering, it seems like the opportunities are going to be even better for new companies. By the way, that's a very nice and corporate way for you to describe your strategy. I'm pretty sure if I interviewed our employees, they would have said that Ian crammed us into a sardine box where we could smell each other's deodorant and there was rats running around on the floor. Uh, that was the second place that we were. <laughs> I remember that. You were cutting some quarters. We made a circle out of a piece of paper most of the time. (laughs) I always thought that companies, all these like real estate services companies that are out there, I always thought they either owned a building or they had a lease for building. And It turns out there is this very important innovation of the last 30 years, and the best example of a user of this innovation is Starwood in the hotel category. Starwood doesn't own any hotels, but they're one of the biggest hotel groups in the world. They don't own the land. 
They don't even have fixed leases for many of their hotels. They have some, but that's the minority of their deals. The vast majority and the dominant model in the hospitality and lodging category is this thing called the hotel management agreement. And as we started working on Notel, you heard some of the ideas I had kind of going into it, but as we started really getting into how do we scale this thing, we stumbled over these ideas that very clever people had developed for many years in the hotel category, and we realized what we need to do is build an office hotel. What we need to do is partner with owners and tell them, if you let me run half your building, it'll make more money, it'll have more stable occupancy and less vacancy, it'll be nicer with more interesting people in there, and I'll take care of everything, you'll have fewer headaches, no one will ever call you, they'll only call me. That pitch is super attractive to them. We've opened a dozen or more buildings now and we've filled them up, so the, the model that we've got to acquire and put in demand is very credible, they believe us. But now we have people calling us and saying, hey, I heard you're doing this, you want to come do it in Baltimore. Okay, how about Brooklyn? Oh, how about the west side of Manhattan? And so we've got people like unsolicited contacting us about some neighborhoods that maybe are not our top priorities. And we're winning deals. We're starting to do lots of deals that are under this managed model. So I think in the year or two ahead, it's, we have the chance of flipping the market. So you explain a little bit about how Starwood works. You know, what innovations, if any, have you made on that? When you say acquire properties, do you actually have a contract with them? Yeah. What I mean is get the right to operate an hotel at the building and work with the owner so that they are taking their share of the revenues that we're collecting in that building. So we can transform it, make it look beautiful, make it work nicely, put our technology in the building so people can do all their stuff. And we're doing something pretty simple. It's sort of obvious. It should have always existed. I mean, if you meet someone today and you ask them, what's the innovation of Amazon Web Services? It just makes so much sense. Like It was obviously really hard for them to pull it off, but renting the fractional servers that you need is just so logical. And that idea was based on other ideas that were related about renting storage and other things that were in the market space. So the Starwood guys are geniuses, as well as the hotel category that has pushed super far in, in this direction, and we're just chasing some of their best ideas. I will tell you, though, a big consequence of using these mechanisms. What it does is it turns a market that is traditionally a supplier-controlled market, where owners have all the power, the real estate owners, it's going to turn it into a demand-led market where the company CEOs that are looking for space, they're able to shop much more seamlessly and do transactions much more easily. That is going to change the whole nature of the market. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting paradigm shift. You mentioned that you guys are in New York and you're thinking about Baltimore or other places like that. You know, what does an expansion look like for you and how does that work for your team? Is your team distributed? Are they all in New York? Our team is a really location-intensive team. So we have a bunch of people in our sort of headquarters office, which is one of the hotels. Actually, we move like every couple of months between different new hotels that we're opening. And then we have a bunch of staff that's in the different locations that we operate because they run the place, kind of the way a hotel has a general manager that runs the space. We have a general manager in every location and a support staff that runs it. As we launch other cities, because we will, we're going to have to drop teams into those places and there'll be a kind of operations HQ for each city and then there'll be folks in every property that, that are running those properties. So it is going to be a big challenge when we leap from one city to multiple cities. And because we're so location intensive, we're going to go a lot deeper in New York before we spread across dozens of other cities around the country or the world. And is the reason that you're so location intensive because the laws are different in these different cities? It's not because of the laws. It's because we're like literally running these buildings. We have staff in the buildings. In order to get the buildings, we got to like walk around and meet all these old school owners and, you know, do sort of face-to-face transactions with them. And then we have to build out and modernize and touch up the buildings to make them look good. And we have to deploy our technology so people can book conference rooms and make sure the coffee's hot and whatever. So we're literally running buildings. I mean, in tech land, 
people often ask, like, you know, what will be the iPhone of drones or what will be the iPhone of smart TVs or something? And it is an interesting question to ask, when will someone build the iPhone of buildings? When will there be a building so modern, so new, its interface so totally redone that it's just a thunderbolt? And if you're going to do that for buildings, you got to, like, deal with all the nitty-gritty. But it's going to be a while before someone launches, like, the completely self-controlled building. I don't see it yet. Is that your vision? My vision is to modernize buildings and offices, yeah, yeah. And I know a lot of it is going to be hardcore technology that gets deployed into the physical infrastructure, everything from the floor to the whiteboard to the front door access and all that. But it's also people. I mean, the reason people come to an office and, you know, a lot of the folks that listen to the Tropical MBA podcast are working from all over and they're using to the maximum advantage the collaborative and communication tools of the modern age. And when you take full advantage of it, you can get really far. And then there are certain things that you want to do when you're with people. It's sort of complicated, multi-threaded problem solving and negotiation that requires long durations of time and a lot of sort of nitty-gritty interaction. That's why people work together still. We're human beings and there are a lot of things in that human composition that, that still work best in person. So yeah, I mean, we want people to come together. We want it to be a human environment. And for us to deliver a space that's awesome, that feels friendly and welcoming, our people are a big ingredient in that. So I grew up outside of Washington, D.C., a suburb. We had like all these, and they still exist, all these office buildings and like all these office parks. You know, you'd kind of come through a neighborhood, there would be a large parking lot, and then this, you know, six-story building that was occupied by some company. The way that you guys are operating seems strategic in that it's New York and everything's walkable and everything's integrated and the infrastructure is really good. Do you have any predictions on what's going to happen to most of the traditional office spaces in the United States or how that might fit into your plan? Yeah, I mean, let me ask you first. I assume it was your childhood dream to work in one of those office parks, right? It wasn't so much my childhood <laughs> dream as it was, that was the norm. You know, that's what people did is they, they drove their car or they parked it on the side of the road and they carpooled with someone to get to this office space and then they had to drive to get lunch. It was not my childhood dream. And it's my grown-up nightmare to do all that. I don't intend to. And I know that, you know, maybe there's some people that, that do that and there's certain nice things about it and I don't want to be overly negative, but the place where our business thrives, Notel really works in cities that people call super cities. And I think the 30-year trend probably since your and my childhoods has been the weakening of that suburban office and retail infrastructure. And people do still live in the suburbs, but the share of population that's been concentrating in cities in America and in many countries around the world is increasing. You know, the story of the last 125 years actually is a story of urbanization from a rural and agricultural society globally to one that is centered in cities and more population is centered there. And cities were not working in the 70s or 80s, but in the late 90s and the last 15 years, cities have been working amazingly well. And the thing, and you know, that one name for that is the creative class or, you know, the super cities concept where you have a real high density. You have actually a lot of income inequality because it starts to get really expensive. A lot of jobs and company compositions have been changing where there are higher revenue per headcount. You have these like hedge funds that manage billions of dollars and only have like three headcount. Or you have a company like WhatsApp in Silicon Valley that was, I don't know, 25 or 30 employees and was sold for $18 billion. Like that's almost a billion dollars per employee. It's the kind of thing that was never possible in the past. And so in these super dense creative cities where you can just pop out and get your lunch from some amazing place and go to a concert after work and all that, real estate's expensive and labor is expensive. And there are a bunch of cities like this that are just huge, 
So for us in New York, you know, it's still less than 1% penetration. I feel like we could be 10 or 20 times bigger and still only be in New York. But there's cities like London, Tokyo, Shanghai, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Paris. And then there's other cities that aren't as expensive yet, but they're clearly on their way to being super cities of the same caliber with the same dynamics, like Berlin. So there's a ton of cities for us to be in. And I don't know exactly what's going to happen to some of the exurbs and the distant suburbs and all that, but you do know that malls are collapsing. And I don't have a great prognosis for the suburban office park. Like, I think that place is hosed. If I think about an hotel in those suburbs, I'd rather put it in a mall and not in a leafy green, sedate, you know, faux forest somewhere. I might put it in a place that had like a 24-7 lifestyle, you know, like where your kids are at school on the same campus and maybe you're working and you pop over to lunch and see a movie later and the gym is in the same, you know, like a 24-7 integrated work-life space. So, and on that I'm just musing because that's what cities actually are. They are 24-7 integrated lifestyle spaces. People live and work in the same place. And even Notel, if you look at a Notel, it could look like somebody's cool downtown loft where they live. And I think that's a big trend in, in work. I mean, people's homes have been editing out the traditional home office of the 90s when you had like a Windows computer in some little room in your house. Like, you don't need that anymore. The laptop's on your lap in the living room in front of the TV or in the kitchen. And that's where you live and where you work. And I think that's true for our workspaces too. What do you want people to know you for? You're on your deathbed. Maybe you've died. Maybe we don't die, hopefully, right? I don't know how old you are, but there's always that hope. What do you want to be known for? I have been conducting my, myself and my work around the idea of just inventing and bringing good ideas to the world. And hopefully some of these ideas will help people. And that's it. You know, I, I have two daughters. One is 10 and the other one is six. And I like to talk to them about just being an entrepreneur, an inventor, and a person who makes new things that creates solutions for the, the world around us. It's just that broad a scope of uh, just challenging the status quo with improvements. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. And I uh, appreciate you taking out time to uh, tell us a story. Oh, really a pleasure. Really a pleasure. Thank you. So, Dan. Yes. I have a sneaking suspicion that there's a lot of other things around us in this world, because it's big, <laughs> that don't have to be status quo anymore. They, we don't have to have these old school leases anymore. And Amal is tapping into that. Yeah. I mean, it's one of these things where we start off in business and you think, in some ways, it's just having confidence about what you see in the world. It's like, hey, like, I don't want to sign a five-year lease. Like, Why are we doing it this way? And there's a lot of other entrepreneurs out there like me. So there's all kinds of opportunities kicking around. You want me to tell you something that might blow your mind? Blow it, dude. I'm ready. Okay. So a couple of things occurred to me as I was listening to them all. The first thing is, is that, you know, those suburban office parks that you're mentioning in the Washington, D.C. area, there's a big opportunity problem there. Because I think Amal's right that they're going to get the short end of the stick first. As If it's true that people are moving back to cities, people are moving back to the home office, what's going to happen to this real estate? So there's an opportunity there. Now, one of these smart New York types tells me this the other night over dinner. They say to me, I'm working in a co-working space that costs me 100 bucks a month. And I'm thinking, what? Like in Jersey? Where is this co-working space? You know what I mean? Like that's really cheap. And you know what she says to me? It's not a co-working space. I'm working in a restaurant that doesn't open until 5 p.m. 
Ooh, wow. You like that? I knew you'd like that, huh? Interesting. That's going on right there. Huh, very cool. Because what's happening is people aren't maximizing the use of all this space, you know? It's another example of rethinking spaces, sharing, and yeah, I love that idea. So there's all kinds of opportunities. That is interesting. I wonder if they serve coffee. They got to serve coffee. You got to have a couple things they going gotta on. Serve coffee. I'd pay 125 for the coffee. It's not that hard to serve <laughs> coffee. <laughs> Thanks them all for being on the show and thank you Dan for chiming in. Yeah, man. We'll see y'all next week. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.